as Christ followers, being witnesses, which is what we're talking about as we uh, continue to move through our, the book of Acts, and we understand that it's, uh, it's the idea of how God has commanded His church to be a witness to the outside world that Jesus Christ is true and real. Amen? We've seen that helps us uh, understand what our priority should be in the church. It helps us understand what fellowship is in the church and how all of this culminates. Everything that we do in this church is to make us better witnesses outside. That's what Acts is all about. And we get to see how the early church grew through this and the mistakes they made and uh, where God blessed them. It's just that big picture of who are we supposed to be as a church carrying out God's command, His primary command for us to be witnesses for Him. One of the things that we're going to find if you um, are going to start being a witness is that you're going to discover and see false teachings. Count on it. Uh, I was able to have lunch with a guy here a couple weeks ago, and we were talking. I, God opened the door for me to talk to him about Jesus Christ, and he was, oh, I believe this, or I think this, and, and about four or five of the things that he talked about were false teachings that he had accepted and as he grew up uh, in various churches and in reading and media and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you're going to, if you're going to be a witness for, this, uh, for Jesus Christ, you are going to encounter false teaching. One of the most dangerous and dominant and destructive false teachings that has plagued the church since this birth in Acts chapter 2 is the false teaching of salvation by grace plus something else. Salvation by grace, plus something else. The idea that salvation by grace alone just sits wrong with so many people. There are many who would recognize that God's grace is needful, uh, is a needful part of salvation, but they also believe some human work must be added to that grace. That human work uh, can take many forms. It, um, it may be uh, the idea that you have to have grace plus baptism into the church, or grace and belonging to a particular church, or good works, grace and good works, or grace and some type of ecstatic spiritual experience that has, maybe one or more of those things has to accompany salvation or you're really not saved. Uh, it also may be going through a specific set of rituals or a series of ongoing disciplined uh, physical uh, activities called mortification. It could take all forms and shapes and sizes, this idea that we need, uh, that our salvation is dependent not just on God's grace, but on God's grace plus something else. As witnesses for Jesus Christ, we are going to, as I said before, encounter this in many different forms. As we move into chapter 15 of Acts this morning, Luke is going to show us how we can address this false teaching. And a really good way to address it is just to go to Acts 15 and walk them through it. Because we're going to see how those apostles, how uh, actually a number of people, three people, address this issue to the Jews. One of the first things we're going to look at, okay, as we usually do, is uh, setting the stage. We're going to set the stage. What is going on in Acts right now that brings us up to Acts 15? Uh, we need to understand that the early church first encountered the false teaching that some human work had to be added to God's grace for a person to be saved within the Jewish community. That was the first place that the church really experienced this. There were Jews who denied Jesus was the predicted Messiah and taught salvation could only be found through becoming a Jew or through circumcision. Then there were also Jews who had, had accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, but they still thought that... Uh, Becoming a Jew, going through the rite of circumcision, becoming part of the Jewish community was an act of obedience after salvation. 
they both believe, both these groups of people believe that the door to Jewishness was circumcision. The false teachings from both groups to be saved, the false teaching from both groups, you had to be saved not only through God's grace, but through the act of Jewish circumcision. As the church matured, this became more and more of a problem. You see, as the church moved out, remember, we're in Antioch right now. This is basically a Gentile church. It had Jews in it, but it was the first real Gentile church that had not been born out of Jewishness. And as the church grew and matured throughout the, the area, more and more Gentiles were, beginning, uh, were coming into Christ, and the Jews were feeling more and more pressure because so many people, so many Gentiles now claim Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they had nothing to do with Jewishness. And that bothered the Jews. And we became, they became more and more forceful about this idea within the churches and outside the churches that you had to become a Jew or be obedient like a Jew for you to really, truly be saved. And it all came to a head when Paul and Barnabas came back to Antioch. As we've seen in chapter 13 and 14, they had their first missionary journey, which was a rousing success. And now they come back, uh, they're back at Antioch, they're going to spend some time at Antioch, and this all comes to a head in Acts chapter 15. So uh, turn with me, please, uh, to Acts chapter 14, verse 27, which is on page 1,174 of your pew Bible. And we're going to read the first uh, a few verses from that, Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 27. And when they, this is Paul and Barnabas and their group, arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and now he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So this is, they're coming back to the Antioch church, and they're giving a report. And they remained there no little time with the disciples. They were going to spend some time there. They were going to rest from their travels. And here, not long, uh, actually going into uh, chapter 16, we're going to see them go back out to another missionary journey. And so what we have here is that this an issue comes and the issue is the issue is salvation by grace alone this is the issue that's going to come to a head and i wanted you to see this okay as we read starting in verse 15 but some men came down from judea chapter 15 verse 1 and were teaching the brothers unless you are circumcised according to the custom of moses you cannot be saved And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others who were appointed to go up to to Jerusalem to to the apostles and the elders about the question. So basically what has happened here, okay, is we have the Judaizers, all right, who are going to, are teaching, they came into the church that you had to be saved through Judaism. And there was a huge debate between Paul and Barnabas, a huge debate. This debate, uh, they decided that this issue was big enough that it couldn't just be decided in the local church because it was decided in just the local church, then every local church was going to have to deal with it. And the church wasn't big enough or mature enough to understand how all that worked out. In the historical setting, the main church or the main headquarters for the church was still in Jerusalem. That's where uh, many of the apostles still were. That's where the initial elders were. And so Paul and Barnabas and people in the Antioch church says, we need to take this issue and everybody that is debating in this issue back to Jerusalem for them to hear us out. And we see that there in the first part of uh, 15. 
where it says Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders. They were going to take this issue, they were going to settle it at what was considered the headquarters of the church, so what they were hoping at the time, which it really didn't, okay, uh, was going to settle this issue of having to become Jew or have Jewishness uh, uh, in a walk or a, a, a uh, uh, being under the law, all right, to become a Christ, a Christ or, or to be uh, appointed or a uh, have a relationship with God. Uh, a Gentile, okay, could become a Jew, not in heritage, but he could become a Jew or a Jewish proselyte by going through circumcision, by going through a, a set of, 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 of rules, if you want to put it that way, and they could be seen as uh, being Jews. They would be allowed in the temple, not in the court of the Jews, but in the court of the Gentiles. They were still kind of less than the, the real national or uh, uh, national, Jews who were national uh, were born Jews, all right? And uh, we find that even today, the Jewish community still believes this, many of them in the Jewish community, community, especially Orthodox Jews. And this is a false teaching because they're adding Jewishness to the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace alone, uh, being saved by grace alone. However, there was another group that we're going to find in this. So this, you, you have another group. You have this group of Judaizers in verse 1 that came down, all right, and said you have to become a Jew. But there was also another set of Jews, and we're going to find them. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, so who were these? If they belonged to the party of Pharisees, what were they? They were, they were Jews, right? But what does it say about them? They were believers, Okay, they weren't like these other Judaizers, they were believers, rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them to the order to keep the law of Moses. And so this, there was this other sect, this other session. They didn't say salvation was based on becoming a Jew. What they said was becoming Jewish or becoming a Jewish proselyte was an act of obedience after you were saved. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They accepted Jesus as the Messiah. They believed in Jesus and placed their faith in Him. Okay, but they had this tradition. They had this idea that for you to be obedient after salvation, you still had to be circumcised. You still had to become a Jewish proselyte. And so you had both of these groups of people who were involved in this debate. All right, And the problem with that is one is not as bad as the other, but they're both still what? false teaching. They're both still adding something to salvation by grace alone. And that's what all of chapter 15 is about. When Paul and Barnabas spoke against this false teaching, okay, as we see uh, looking at in verse 6, okay, look at verse 6. Uh, it was in verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And then there was much debate, and Peter stood up and said to them. So here's what happens. The debate was in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas stood up to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. A tremendous debate developed. They took this debate, this issue, to Jerusalem, and they brought it into the Jerusalem church. In the Jerusalem church, there were Pharisees that kind of somewhat agreed with the Judaizers, but not completely. And now they're going to have the debate. They're going to have a session, what we would call a council, to determine what was going on with this. And we have to understand something, that there is a lot riding on this. This isn't just some squabble, 
There's a lot writing on this idea that salvation is by grace only. When Paul and Barnabas spoke uh, against this false teaching, they understood what was writing on it. Listen to, let me give you just a couple of reasons why it was so uh, important. If the Gentiles were required to keep the law, okay, then Paul and Barnabas were false teachers. If, the, if, if this was true, if what these Jewish uh, these Jews were saying was true, that they had to come underneath the law, then what Paul and Barnabas had been teaching all the way up on their missionary, missionary journey, their first missionary journey, and in Antioch, they would have been false teachers because they taught that wasn't true. And so if it was decided in Jerusalem that what the Jew, Judaizers said was true, if what these believing Jews said was true, then Paul and Barnabas would be singled out as false teachers. And what would that have done to all the Churches that Paul and Barnabas had just planted in Antioch, or in Antioch, and out of Antioch in, on the first missionary journey. A lot, a lot rested on this. If the, we also see that the Gentiles, had, to keep the law, then faith is not enough. Faith is not enough. Sometimes this could be, uh, this has to be, something has to be added to faith before anyone could be saved. From the Judaizers' perspective, they had to become Jews to become saved at all. And from the believing Jews, they had to add obedience to the law as proof of their salvation. And so the first thing, if they were Paul and Barnabas, could be singled out as false teachers. Uh, there was salvation by faith alone, by grace alone through faith was put on the, on, uh, the chopping block. And also, if the Gentiles had to keep the law, then the Gentiles throughout the world, past, present, and future, were all unsaved. Which would include who? Every single person in this room. That was the writing on this. That's how important this issue was. And that's why they brought it to Jerusalem. Because if the Jews were right, none of us here could ever be saved. This is a tremendously important issue. This is why Acts 15 was written, and this is why it's such an important chapter in the Bible, because this chapter is the most complete presentation of what saved by grace alone means. We see that in this chapter more than any other one. It's uh, Jewish in nature. It points to uh, this idea of circumcision and what the Jews were doing, but it all parallels uh, it to what we experience day in and day out as far as what it means to be saved by grace. It is not God's grace plus anything. That's what Paul, we're going to find in chapter 15 of Acts. It is God's grace alone that we are saved. It is not God's grace plus anything. And so what we're going to see here is three rebuttals. Okay, three rebuttals in quick succession. And we see this first from Peter. Look at verses 6 through 11. Chapter 15, verses 6 through 11. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, uh, knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Okay, first of all, who's he referring to? What event is he referring to that they would have all known about? Cornelius, Right? Paul said, I, I, I was chosen by God to go to Cornelius, and they were saved. And we know they were saved because they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. But then he goes on. And he made no distinction. He, here is God, made no distinction between us and them. God made no distinction between the Jews 
and those that were uh, accepted Christ as their Savior in Cornelius' household and their friends. But what we have to understand is Peter's point here is God never required them to become Jews. They were cleansed and full of the Holy Spirit without becoming Jews. That's his point. Verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. How do we know they were saved? God had cleansed their hearts. God had cleansed their hearts. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the, of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. So what we have here is uh, Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter is saying, God chose me, sent me to Cornelius, a Gentile, and there were many people in that house. They all got saved. They were all baptized by the Holy Spirit as proof of salvation. God showed no distinction between us and them. They never became Jewish. They never uh, were circumcised. And basically what he's saying is, how can you put a requirement on people when God didn't put this requirement on people? How could you add something to salvation by grace alone when God didn't add anything to salvation by grace alone, even between Jews and Gentiles? If, anybody, if you hear of anybody saying, you have, to be saved, you have to do this and this, or you have to become like this, or what, you need to take them to this and say, in the idea between Jews and Gentiles, take them to chapter 15 and, and show them God made no distinction. It was salvation by grace alone, period. Nothing had to be added to it. He cleansed them, the, uh, Cornelius and his household, uh, through their faith alone, not through their faith and circumcision. And we see this, Paul writes about this later on in, in Ephesians. He says, uh, kind of sums a lot of this up, for by grace you have been saved, that's that uh, salvation by grace alone, you have been saved through faith, okay? And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Basically, Nobody here can boast of anything to do with their salvation, period. It is all God's work. It is salvation by grace and nothing else. You did nothing to earn your salvation. And if you were in my Sunday school class this week, uh, you understand what that means. We have this infinite, sovereign overarching God over all of our reality, over all creation, and He cares enough for us that He says, I will save you when you cannot save yourself. I can't, I can't comprehend why a being that big, that mighty, that sovereign would even care a lick about Mark Hardenbrook. But He did. Amen? And He did the same with you. And then he goes on in verses 10 and 11. He says, don't test God. Look at verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? And basically what he's saying, this, it isn't the place of anyone to test God in choosing what he chose to do. He says, you're testing God. God did not do this. God did not make this requirement. And you're adding to it. Basically what uh, Peter was saying is, you added to something that God had already perfected. You're testing God. You're telling God he forgot something. That's what he's saying. 
Since God was saving Gentiles without requiring them to place themselves under the law, it would be foolish to require anything to be added to God's grace for salvation to take place. That's what Peter is saying. And he says it's especially foolish when the Jews couldn't keep the law themselves. <coughs> Throughout their whole existence, did the Jews ever successfully keep the law? No. The fact that they were still God's chosen people was by whose grace? God's because they didn't keep the law good enough to earn their salvation or to earn their special relationship with God. And that's what Peter was saying. God didn't add anything. Why are you testing God by adding something anyway? The Judaizers restricted salvation to only those who become Jews. The Pharisees believed that obedience to the law proved one was saved. Either way, they both added something to God's grace for salvation. And Peter said, that is out of line. That is out of line. Peter's point, God didn't require Gentiles to do anything to gain His salvation, so why should we? He saved them by His grace alone. Amen? That's Peter's point. That's Peter's point. I love the response of the people who were sitting there. Look at, at the next verse. And all the assembly fell silent. <laughs> Does that remind you about something about Job? What did Job do after God said, let me ask you a few questions. What did Job do? I'm done. I'm not going to say anything anymore. Here we have, the, the, basically what Luke is recording is that nobody had, what? A rebuttal against Peter's rebuttal. Amen? And so what we hear, what I, what I hope you see in this rebuttal by Peter is that as you witness and as you go out, you don't have to worry about anybody having to earn their salvation. All you have to do is tell them, you can be saved through God's grace and God's grace only. There is nothing that has to be added to that. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to come to my church. You don't have. Are there things that we do because we love God after salvation? Absolutely. But it has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing to do with salvation. God's offering of salvation comes without any strings attached. His salvation is by grace alone. We move into the second rebuttal now. It's presented by Paul. So we had Peter's rebuttal, and now we have Paul and Barnabas' rebuttal in verse 12. Look at verse 12. A much shorter rebuttal. I thought that was really odd, because I think this is the shortest rebuttal that Paul ever made in any place in the Bible. It's one verse long, okay, as far as the record of the rebuttal. All right, so look at verse 12. And the, all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they told them of what God had done in the lives of the Gentiles and how God had validated it. That's what Paul is saying. Paul and Barnabas picked up where Peter left off. Peter had pointed out that God didn't require Cornelius and those with him to add anything to salvation. He gave them what he, uh, he, that he gave them when he cleansed them from their great, by his grace. Paul and Barnabas gave testimony to God's validation of their ministry to the Gentiles through signs and wonders. Uh, what Paul and Barnabas were saying is, we preach and teach the same thing, salvation by grace alone. We have been preaching and teaching it all across the first missionary journey. We have preached and taught it here in Antioch. We have preached and taught it before Antioch. We came to Antioch. It is salvation by grace alone. And you know how we know 
that we are right before God? He says, because every place we go and preach that, it is validated by signs and wonders. It is validated by signs and wonders. Amen? How would you like to have everything you said about God be validated by a sign and a wonder? Oh, that would be cool. If somebody says, I don't disagree with you, I'd say, just a minute, God's going to do something here. <laughs> let's heal a blind man. You know, let's heal a, uh, uh, somebody who has a lame limb. Let's, let's uh, somebody who uh, is, has a is demon possessed. Let's heal him. I'll, I'll, I'll prove to you that God is, um, doing, is with me in doing this. That would be so great. God doesn't work that way today, but he is working that way here. Okay? And so Paul and Barnabas' point, Paul and Barnabas' point, we have also been teaching and teaching salvation by grace alone, and God has validated our teaching through signs and wonders. So Peter said, God did it with the Gentiles, did not require them to be Jews. Why are you requiring it? Paul said we teach the same, Paul and Barnabas said we teach the same thing as Peter, and God is validating it through signs and wonders. Amen? There's not a whole lot of room here to wiggle. How is salvation, how does God save? By grace what? By grace, everybody, alone. Alone. With nothing else attached to it. Let me take you back just to show you that uh, where God was validating uh, Paul and Barnabas. Look back at chapter 14, verse 3. We'll just turn back a page. Chapter 14, verse 3. This is talking about Paul and Barnabas. So they, Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time. They're in Iconium right now, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace. The word of what? His what? Grace. So what was the word of grace? You can be saved through faith, through, through grace alone, by faith, okay? <clears throat> to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Basically, we see exactly what His point is in, in verse 12 of chapter 15. Now we move on, okay? And we see that Luke is going to record the third and final rebuttal. The third and final rebuttal. And it's made by James. So we have a rebuttal by Peter, a rebuttal by Paul and Barnabas, and now we see a rebuttal by James. Let's start in verse 13 of chapter 15. After they finished speaking, James replied. James is, is right now, he is acting as the moderator, or he's the lead of the council there. Okay, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, who is that? Peter, now understand something here. I love how the Bible works. I love how God reveals this. Why didn't Luke just record Peter? Who were they talking to mainly right now? Jews. Peter was a Greek, was the Greek name for Peter. Peter's real name, formal real name, was Simeon, or Simon as we know it. So when... <clears throat> James refers to Simon in front of Jews. He formally calls him by his formal Jewish name to point and to make the point that what? They are like me. Peter is a Jew like us. Peter is a Jew like me. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon uh, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take away, uh, to take from them a people for his name. 
And with this, the word of the prophets agreed, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Verse 19, therefore, James said, my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain. And he, they're going to write, he uh, lays out a letter that they're going to write. So we have to understand something here. James understood that the people he needed to address were not Gentiles. It was the Jews. And that's why he used, as we've already said, uh, Peter's Hebrew name. And now James does something here that has been missing in every single one of his rebuttals. Did you notice that Peter, Paul, and Barnabas did not use any scripture? They didn't use any scripture. But James does, uh, starting in verse 16. He quotes from the book of Amos. And this Amos is one of the minor prophets. Amos is a book of judgment. Amos is not a fun book to read. It was not fun for the Israelites to hear from Amos as a prophet because God was going to chastise them severely. There are only a few verses at the very, very end of Amos that speak of the blessing in the, in the last days, in the days to come. And that is the verses that James refers to here in verse 16, and look at that again, verse 16, after this I will return, so this is God, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will build its ruins and I will restore it, uh, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from old. In these verses, Amos speaks of the millennial kingdom, that is the kingdom that is past the church age, past the rapture, past uh, the tribulation. It is the millennial kingdom. All right. It is then that God says that he is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And that includes, that is important to whom? The Jews. All right. In the millennium kingdom, the remnant of mankind. Okay. That's a remnant. So you have Jews. He's talking about Jews rebuilding David's tabernacle, rebuilding the temple and where there's going to be a place for the Jews to worship. And he says also the remnant of mankind is going to come there and worship. And so uh, basically the whole world. But then he spells something else out here. Look what he says. The remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and what? All the Gentiles. All the Gentiles. Gentiles will be saved as Gentiles without first becoming Jews. Because in the millennial kingdom, you see, uh, there are no Jews as far as the Gentiles and the remnant of mankind. What you see are Christians, those who have placed their faith in, in, in salvation in Jesus Christ. James's point, Gentiles will be part of the millennial kingdom without having to become Jewish proselytes. And again, it is implied, then why are you adding something to this salvation by grace alone? And he's saying, even Amos, even back in the Old Testament, it refers to a time when Gentiles will be saved without having to become Jews. Peter says, nobody, uh, just a few months ago, a, few, a couple of years ago, Peter uh, saw Cornelius, a Gentile, come to Christ. That has been validated by Paul and Barnabas as they were uh, teaching that uh, salvation is by grace alone because of the signs and wonders. And then we see in the future, it will also be, again be validated because Gentiles will be saved, but without having the requirement of becoming Jews. The rebuttals are done. The apostles, elders, and the church agree that salvation by grace is, alone, is by faith alone. And look at verse 22. Drop down to verse 22. 
Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. What we see here is this major issue has been decided upon, what was considered the first church council. This major issue. And now they're going to, they're not going to just send Paul and Barnabas back because Paul and Barnabas are going to have to face the Judaizers, true? And the Judaizers are going to say, well, you just said that. That's not really what happened at the council. But the council is saying, we're going to send a, a whole crew of people back to Antioch, okay, and we're going to bear witness that this is what the council, this is what this group of men uh, decided along with the church, that salvation is by grace alone with nothing else attached. Specifically, in this instance, you don't have to become a Jewish proselyte. And if you'll jump down to verse 30. And so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, it says, they rejoiced because of his encouragement. Who rejoiced? The Gentiles. Why? Because they didn't have to do anything else for their salvation. All they had to do was believe that salvation was by grace alone through faith. Amen? That is the same thing for us. That is the same thing for us. So let's look at a couple of reflections here. And uh, how we witness, we need to understand, is so important. We must be careful that we do not even inadvertently move someone to think they have to anything to do with to gain or earn their salvation we don't want to inadvertently ever lead anybody to think that they to be saved they have to do this and this and this and this and it's really easy for us to do that inadvertently it's easy for us to fall into that trap and i'm not uh, i'm not bringing into uh, question anybody's salvation here uh, because we use terms in the church rather freely, and I've heard some of you and many of you use these types of, of, of phrases and stuff. So I'm not calling, I'm just saying this is how we have to be careful, all right? If someone were to ask you how you were saved, how would you respond? How would you respond? Many times the response goes something like this. I prayed and Jesus came into my heart. That seems pretty innocuous, right? But what does it start with? I. You can also hear that this. I walked down an aisle at a camp or a revival and accepted Jesus as my heart. I came to understand that I was a sinner and I asked Jesus into my heart. What do all those begin with or focus on? I. Me. I did something so that I could be saved. Now, I don't think anybody means it in that way, but if you're talking about people out there in a world that does not understand God, does not understand salvation, when we place the focus of, I did something, we're automatically helping them see or moving them to see that salvation by grace alone has something to do with I, me. Maybe it would be better to think through it a little bit and say something like this, how, how did you get saved? How were you saved? By His grace, God drew me to Himself and made me alive. By His grace, He opened my eyes to see the wickedness of my sin. He opened my eyes to see that His Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross to take care of the sin I had. 
Then, by His grace, He gave me the gift of faith so I could place that faith in His Son for my salvation. That is how I was saved. Amen? Who does that focus on completely and totally? God. And it's totally how many times do you see the idea of grace in there? Because we have to be careful in how we witness and how we speak. Because salvation has nothing to do with I. Salvation has nothing to do with anything that I do. Salvation has only to do with God. Amen? Now that can be phrased in a whole bunch of ways. I rewrote that thing about 15 times. All right? And if I was to go back to sit at my desk, I'd probably write it again another 15 times. Because you can phrase it a lot different. The idea is not that you say that. The idea is that you get the point across that who is responsible for your salvation? God. And He does it by His grace and nothing else. This is why chapter 15 is so important. It helps us to grasp so clearly that salvation is only by God's grace through the, grace, through the gift of faith that He has given us. We're going to, when we walk out this door, when we become bold witnesses for Christ, we're going to encounter hundreds of false teachings about salvation. We're going to encounter those false teachings outside the church and, and from different religions. We're going to encounter those false teachings from within the church. From within the church. Sometimes by accident, because of how we phrase things. Sometimes on purpose, like the Judaizers coming into the church and saying, you're teaching wrong. We have to be ready for that as witnesses for Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You know how you get better at it? You witness for Jesus Christ. Are you going to make mistakes? How many people here will make a mistake being a witness for Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, I want to talk to those who didn't because you're telling me you know how to do it really, really well. All right? The issue here is we're all going to make mistakes, but with mistakes comes experience and with with experience comes wisdom and how to be a witness and i pray and i ask that as we encounter the false teaching that you have to add something to salvation that it's not by grace alone that as we grow and and witness and get experienced at, at addressing these things that more and more people will come to understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if, you, if anything is attached to the gospel, if anything is added to salvation by grace plus anything, if anything is added, it is not the true gospel. It is false teaching. And I want to encourage you that if anybody tries to add something, especially if it's, you encounter it within a church or within a Christian brother or sister, take them to Acts 15 and say, it's only by grace. That's the whole point of this chapter. Because somebody was trying to add something to salvation. Amen? Close your eyes for just a minute. Let me ask you this. If I were to ask you, are you saved? And I'm going to read this again but just in a little bit different of a context. If I ask you, are you saved? Could you respond by saying yes because his in His grace, God drew me to Himself and made me alive. By His grace, He opened my eyes to see the wickedness of my sin. 
By His grace, He opened my eyes to see that His Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross to take care of the sin that I had. Then, by His grace, He gave me the gift of faith so I could place that faith in His Son for my salvation. Can you say that? Do you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is why you're saved? Not because of anything that you've done, but because of Jesus Christ. Because of God and the gift that He gave through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is all about. If you are saved, and you can say, I can absolutely say that, and I can absolutely... actually revel in that just take a minute here and just praise god that he saved you by his grace what a blessing and a privilege that is if you say i really have never seen salvation like that i don't understand exactly what all of that means i'm i i understand the concept but i i can't say that that has happened to me personally if that's the case then i pray that god would open your heart and your mind to his gospel and what we've read here. And I pray that you wouldn't just let it lie, that you would come and see Pastor Adam and I. It can be later this week, or it can be right after service. If you have questions, if you want clarification, if you're not sure, Pastor Adam and I would be glad, would look forward to meeting with you at the front of the church here, right after service, if that's weighing on your heart. Because we want you to understand that God has provided salvation by grace and nothing else. Father God, if somebody is wondering right now, if somebody is just torn between where they really stand with Christ, Lord God, I pray that they would come and talk to Pastor Adam and I that you would give us wisdom and insight into helping them see that it's by your grace that you have reached out to us for salvation. Oh, Lord God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for reaching out to me and showing me my sin, showing me who Jesus Christ is. Thank you for making me alive through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord God, for loving me when there was nothing in me to love. Father God, thank you for the love and care that you've shown for us. Thank you for providing salvation for anyone that would place their faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen.